0: Hello, thank you for listening to the sermon from our Revive service. We hope it helps you learn more about God and allows you to grow closer to Him and in your faith. If you take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 14, as we continue unpacking this great book, today we will talk about having healthy expectations. Healthy expectations. You know, um, one of the things that I have the great privilege of of doing is uh, being a cross country coach, and I coach over at uh, Firestone High School. And one of the things that is my responsibility is to help the the boys, the boys team, uh, to prepare. And in our preparations, uh, I want them to know what to expect when we get ready to go to a race. And so. I'm sorry, I just saw Anna with her legs kicked up, and I just think it's like the awesomest thing in the world. No, Anna, keep them up. Makes me feel like I'm right in your living room. Um, and so uh, this past week we were running, yesterday we were running up in Huron, and so um, doing our scouting, um, you know, finding out that it's really amongst uh, cornfields, farm fields, and, uh, and, and so. Uh, I said it's going to be pretty flat, the course is going to be pretty flat, and then I listed kind of here's the teams that are going to be there, so that they understood and knew what the expectation would be as they arrive, what they could look forward to, and there were certain rules, certain things that were guidelines that were laid out because of COVID and what we were allowed to do and what we weren't allowed to do as a team and what the starting line would look like and how the finish would happen. So we talked all about that before we actually got there, so that way... everybody would have an understanding of what the expectation as you look forward to arriving, what you would see. Um, I've tried to do, do that a little bit on our Canada wilderness leadership trips as well. And uh, and that's really hard to do because as people prepare for Canada and you tell them what it's going to be like, um, there's nothing like being there. And so uh, I go back to our very first trip and I probably did the... My worst job of preparing our group and having a healthy expectation of what was to come, especially. My bride. I did not prepare my bride for what she was about to encounter, uh, and and not only did I not communicate well, I did not help her prepare to have the right tools. And so when she wanted the 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 bug net uh, to help protect her from the mosquitoes, I said, "Oh, you don't need one of those." Um, sure enough, the mosquitoes were much worse than my first original trip uh, on our trip, and then it rained about every day and it was just miserable and it was really really hard and I didn't do a good job of helping our group understand what the expectation looks like and what that 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 uh, not only looks like but as we walk through it what it's going to entail what's what's it going to cost what's it what's it going to mean to you as you walk through that and so one of the things that I think when we come To church, and even as we come um, trusting Jesus as our Savior, I don't know if we always do a good job of communicating a healthy expectation. Now, let me define for you what I think is a healthy expectation. A healthy expectation is this. I tell you what it's going to look like. You hear me, and you hear what that expectation is. You understand fully what that expectation looks like, and you're able to communicate that back. It's one thing. If I have an expectation, I tell you what to do and you don't get it. All right. That's not a healthy expectation. It's kind of like uh, premarital counseling as we sit down with uh, the couples. And one of the things that we, uh, an analogy that I've shared is um, with the wives or the soon to be wives um, to share and to make sure that you communicate really well. Don't have this expectation that if you tell your husband to take out the trash, that he's going to automatically do it don't put the trash right in front of the doorway expecting him to think, "Oh, I need to take out the trash." All right? Don't expect, don't have an expectation of that you're trying to communicate in such a way that he's going to probably miss it. I know I've missed that. And so, when we talk about a healthy expectation, I want us to really dig into the word this morning as we look at this and unpack Acts 14 verses 19 through 23 for us to kind of get a glimpse of what is a healthy expectation of how God sees the church, how, how God desires for us to look, how does our daily life, how should it look? How should we live? And so that healthy expectation I think is really, really important. Um, let's read it together and then, uh, and then we'll kind of go back and walk through. It's a smaller portion, but it's full of meat this morning. And so one of the things that, um, my final prayer this morning was, um, Lord help me not to give too much of the pie. And I've said this before, I've been giving, uh, I try to give you a piece. Um, a couple weeks ago, I gave you the whole pie and I think I've Pushed it into your face and some of you were gagging on it. There's a lot here. And so I want to dig in here. Um, but we're starting in verse 19. Um, Paul and Barnabas are in Lystra. Um, they've encountered the, 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 the man who was lame from birth. Um, Paul spoke to him. He saw his faith. He spoke to him. He rose and walked, leaped around. Um, he, was, uh, he sprung up. He was, he, he was healed. A miraculous. It was a miraculous encounter. And so, as the people of Lystra saw this, um, they wanted to worship um, Paul and Barnabas as gods. Uh, they saw them as uh, as false gods as Zeus and Hermes, and so Paul and Barnabas uh, approach the crowd, they jump in the middle of them and they beg them not to offer the sacrifices. and so um, we're left off in verse 18 that even with these words that Paul shared, uh, they scarcely restrained the people from offering sacrifice to them. And so now let's join in verse 19. It says, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city and went and on the next day he went out with Barnabas to Derby. amongst the crowd now there's probably some time here it doesn't say immediately there's some time that probably goes goes on because what we see here in verse 19 there is a traveling missions group all right this traveling missions group is uh, Jews from Antioch uh, Poseidon, and Iconium and this missions group is going to go and tell all these people how horrible and bad Paul is Paul and Barnabas. And uh, it kind of reflects back to what we saw uh, earlier in the book of Acts that Paul did. Paul left Jerusalem going to pull out those who were part of the way and he was going to bring them back and put them in jail. And that's what we see this group of Jews doing here that the this traveling what I'm calling the traveling missions group as they thought they were doing something really really good. They were going to go and help this city and the people of that city understand who Paul and Barnabas really were. And so they persuaded the crowds. All right. This is the same crowds that we see up in verse 11, um, that when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices um, in Lyconium, in their own native language. They were lifting up their voice, uh, and, and they had seen what Paul had done and, and the miracle work. In verse 14, it's the same crowds uh, that we see that were going to offer sacrifices. And again, in verse 18, these are the same crowds of the people that wanted to offer the sacrifice that Paul was able to kind of talk down. Now they've changed their tune. All right. These crowds have been convinced. All right. They've been convinced by the Jews that came from Antioch and Iconium, um, that, that Paul and Barnabas were the enemy. And so they took Paul and they dragged him out of the city. They stoned him and they dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. uh, and so, um, what we see here um, that ultimately, and I mentioned this a little bit last week, I don't think people at this time were um, were inexperienced in their stoning. Um, this is something that took place, especially um, as, as a way of um, punishment, that people knew, they knew what to do. And so what probably took place was Paul was hit, I uh, fell to his knees. He was hit in the head, hit unconscious. They, thinking that he was dead, uh, dragged him out of the city. And so then we see the disciples gathered about him. This word disciple is the same word that's used for those who are trusting in Jesus all along the way here as the gospel goes from Jerusalem and scattered abroad. This isn't the 12 or the 11 disciples. This is the same term for those who are part of the way. These are followers of Jesus. And as the followers of Jesus are here in Lystra, um, they surround Paul. And as they surround Paul, they're begging and praying, asking for God's healing touch. And what happens? The disciples gathered about him, and he did what? He laid dead, right? He stayed dead. They buried him. No, he rose up. You know what? Um, Look back into verse 10, when Paul says to the man who was crippled from birth... He says in a loud voice, stand upright on your feet or rise up. It is the same term that Paul says for this lame man that is going to be used for even himself. It's just phenomenal when you think about here's a man who's just been healed, who's been able, never able to walk. And here's Paul who's stoned and and thinking to be left for dead, that God would touch him and that he would have the same miraculous touch of God as this lame cripple and he would be able to rise up. Only our God could do that. And so we see that even though he was supposing to be dead, he wasn't dead. Interesting to be able to look over in 2 Corinthians, and I'll just turn there. You might want to put a note verses, uh, next to verse 19 there uh, and put 2 Corinthians 11.25, because 2 Corinthians 11.25, Paul talks about his, his sufferings. And what he says in verse 25 is, says, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Well, he's referencing back to this part where we're at an axe. Once I was stoned. Well, he was stoned here. And so there's a reference that he's talking about in his sufferings for Jesus. He was stoned. And we're going to look at um, a little bit more as we go along here today as well. But you might want to just put that little note uh, there next to verse 19 in Acts 14. When the disciples gathered around him, he rose. He entered the city, and then the next day he went on with Barnabas in Derby, to Derby. So Derby is the last stop that they're going to have in Galatia, uh, in this providence. and uh, and so he goes out, um, uh, going with those who were part of the way. Again, I think it's a strong reference, as Paul was doing this in in Acts nine verse two. So we see. There is a group of disciples around him that are part of this way. The way is following Jesus. And so as he rises up, um, he goes into the city probably to be bandaged and to get a little rest. But he doesn't stay there long and he leaves the next morning and he leaves for Derby. Before we go any further though, I want to just make a reference and a note here. Because what has happened in Lystra is critical and important. We don't see it in the text, but this is the beauty of having the full gospel Bible that we have today. There is something significant that happens in Lystra. Okay. The the man, the lame man gets healed, right? What we notice and what we don't see is that there are groups of people who get saved. We don't see that. Dr. Luke doesn't record that for us, but we know That there are people who get saved. There are, specifically, there are Jews who get saved. Now, some of that is because of the reference of the disciples gathering around Paul. But there's something else that we see later in our Bible that references back to Lystra. And let me me share with you what that is. Their name is Lois and Eunice. You know who they are? Let me read to you from 2 Timothy, verses 1 through 5, or chapter 1, verse 5. This is Paul writing to Timothy. He said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, Timothy, a faith that first dwelt in your grandmother, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. So what happens here in Lystra? There's a there there's a great movement amongst these two women who are in relation to Timothy his mother and grandmother get saved and Timothy does too And we're going to see the effects of this in in a little bit in, in, in chapter 16, verse 1. But it's really cool because Dr. Luke does not make a point of reference to this. He's trying to help us to see the work of God and the big picture. People are getting saved the gospel message is being proclaimed and lives are not only being touched, but the foundation of the church is being set so that future generations may hear and see Jesus Christ. So we're moving on from Leicester now. We just wanted to give you that note that maybe, maybe you want to put that in there. 2 Timothy 1.5 there and then maybe reference Acts 16.1 because we're going to see that in a few weeks. So they're going to, they're going to Derby. Uh, it says they went on with Barnabas. Paul went on with Barnabas to Derby. Verse 21 When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch. We know this is Antioch, Poseidonia. And then strengthened in the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So what we see here in verse 21 is they're preaching the gospels, and we see many coming to know Jesus Christ as Savior. And so a little note about Derby is there's a man here named uh, Gaius, G-A-I-U-S. And uh, we see him in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, and he's going to be an important uh, character, even as Paul writes some of his other letters. He's a traveling companion of Paul. Again, it helps us to see this isn't just nameless people. These are real people who are trusting Jesus, who are having a real encounter with the living Jesus Christ, and who will continue proclaiming and and doing exactly what, what Jesus had asked the church to do, to go into the world and preach the gospel. And so we see um, in Derby this this Gaius character, Gaius character, as he goes out in Acts chapter twenty verse four, um, and then we see as the gospel is shared there that then Paul and Barnabas they could have taken the easy route on the map, which I don't have up today, but on the map they could have just cut across and gone back to Antioch, but they didn't do that. They didn't take the easy way. Paul and Barnabas actually took the hard way and they returned back through the cities where they had just preached the gospel. Remember, they were thrown out of the cities. They were stoned in a the city. They were Getting ready to be beaten up. And these are the same cities that they return back to. What, why do they do that? Well, the text tells us why. It helps us to understand. They were strengthening the souls of the disciples. They were encouraging them to continue in the faith. It's a reminder to me that we all need encouragement. We all need to know that, man, keep it up. We're going. We're going along. This, you're not alone. It's hard sometimes. And this week, uh, I heard from some who are really, really struggling in their faith. Some who are struggling in their marriage. Some who are struggling just with life. Folks, we need encouragement. That's why God has given us the church. And why it's so, so important and critical that we gather together. I'm going to get out of my soapbox for a minute. We need to gather together. And if you are upset with me for saying this, I'm sorry. God has brought the church together to meet, to worship, and to fellowship. And we need one another. Now, if you want the church to be what you want it to be, because you are a consumer, you are not living with a healthy expectation of what the church should be. The church is about us giving Not about us receiving. As Paul and Barnabas are traveling, they could have taken the easy route, but they didn't. They went back, strengthening the faith, encouraging those who had stepped out in faith against those who in their city, against the synagogues and against the religious establishments, they stepped out against that to say, no, we will trust Jesus. Ultimately laying their life to be persecuted So Paul and Barnabas purposefully go back, encouraging the saints, discipling them, strengthening them, teaching them. That's what should be happening in our church today. That's why we gather. We are not some country club where you come and you get your fill and you feel good about yourself and you leave. God has called us to love him To worship him and in that loving we serve one another. That's why there's all the one another's in the New Testament. Because that's what the church is called to do. And we learn how to do that because we're not perfect people. We are a bunch of imperfect people striving to live our lives for Jesus in an imperfect world. But the church God has orchestrated and set up so that we may be encouraged in our faith so that we may be taught and discipled and learn what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Paul says this in this in verse 22. So they're strengthening the souls of the disciples. They're encouraging them to continue in the faith. And saying that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Do you know what we want today? We want life easy. And when there's threats, we want to push them aside. And when when there's difficulty, we want the easy way out. We have got to stop the Western mindset of consumerism in our church and in our lives. God calls us passionately and he says, you will face tribulation. You will face hardships. It will take place. It makes me think of what Jesus said back in Matthew when he was teaching his disciples early on with the sermon on the mount and this passage reminded me of Matthew chapter 5 verse 10 blessed are the those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven that's what Paul is saying here he's reiterating the message from the Sermon of the Mount that Jesus preached. He's saying, listen, you will suffer. There will be persecution on your way to heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted. It doesn't read, blessed are those who are comfortable. And actually... Those who are lukewarm are spit out. It's time to get on fire. Verse 23, Dr. Luke records for us and he says, and when they had appointed elders for them in every city with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed So what we see here is that Paul and Barnabas um, set up the structure um, and then later would give qualifications of leadership for the church. They appointed, or that same term there could be used for ordained, they appointed or, or ordained elders or pastors, leaders of the churches as they went from city to city, There were churches that were started. And Paul, Barnabas felt so compelled that they needed to set up these leaders. One of the things that we're doing right now that you probably got word this week or last week was uh, we've asked for nominations for leaders. And people have come and told me and said, well, I don't feel qualified or I don't think I can do that. Think about these leaders. Most of them were going to the Jewish synagogues. They had a knowledge of the Old Testament. But they had heard about Jesus as Paul and Barnabas preached. They accepted Jesus as Christ, as Savior. But they didn't have any formal teaching of what they needed to do in the church. Not at this time. Paul points them as leaders. He sets a structure. But they remember, they don't have the written New Testament gospel. Paul can't say, hey, just read 1 Timothy, and you're going to know what you need to do as leadership. Paul points them to leaders trusting and trusting them and trusting that God was going to teach them and to show them And that they would learn along the way what it meant for the church to look like. We're no different. We're not looking for perfect people to lead in our church. But as leaders, God calls us to live faithfully for him. And I'm confident that God will show us as we are faithful to him what that looks like. Now we have some qualifications today. And I'm sure Paul used those qualifications even as he started these churches in these cities. We see that list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, verses 2 through 7. What we see is there, is, there are faith communities that have been formed in these cities. There is a faith community that has been formed right here. At West Hill. Paul entrusts the leaders. But notice with prayer and fasting. He commits them to the Lord. They commit them to the Lord. It's a central part of our lives. Prayer is. And fasting probably should be as well. Let me encourage you to do something like that. Pastor Ed has been talking about our prayer time and the call to prayer. If you didn't pick up one of the booklets, you can still do that and join us in our 40 days of prayer. Let me encourage you. Take a day and fast. Take a meal and fast. Spend time again. Let me, let me give you an illustration. A couple weeks ago, I'm sitting at a pastor's breakfast with some of my pastor friends we're having breakfast, and uh, one of the pastors starts sharing about how he was preaching through Daniel and uh, how he God was working in his life. And we talked a little bit about that, but we also talked about this is a guy who who is a mega marathon dude. So he's an ultra, what's called an ultra marathoner. So he had just run a hundred hundred miles that weekend, a hundred mile race. I know it's crazy. I would never do that. But a hundred mile race like that weekend. And, and, and so I asked him in the group, I said, what, what compels you to do something like that? Why would you do that? And he said, listen, when, when I get to the point where I know I can't do it anymore, I'm broken and I know how much I need to trust in God. He says, it's experiential theology. I have to experience it in order to truly understand it. See, what we want is we want the easy way. Oh, I'll experience that popcorn. I'll just throw it in the microwave. It's easy. A couple minutes, it's all done. Used to be you had to get the the cob and you would get it and you would get the little kernels off of it and you would put it. And and over the fire? Oh, yeah, that's right. You had to go get wood. Oh, you had to split wood and then build a fire and then put your... But we have convenience today. And so through this conversation, he says that. And I I said, so how does that relate to what you were preaching through in Daniel? And he said, well, he said, I fasted from meat. I said, oh, really? As I was taking a bite of my bacon. He said, yeah, I gave up meat for two weeks. And I said, so how was it? He said, it was awesome. He said, it was great. He said, I just kind of went back to what Daniel was saying about the vegetables and things of, uh, of that time. And he said, it was wonderful. And he said, then I started eating meat and then I did this run. And he said, I think I'm actually going to go back and I might do this more often. And I said, why, why would you, why would you fast like that? And he said, because of the same reason why I run those hundred miles, because it costs me something, I have to experience it in order for it to become real. So when we fast, there is something deep within our soul that experiences that. Experiential theology, it makes it real. It's not just a bunch of facts. Let me encourage you to do that and see what god does see how god shows up i won't tell you everything but i'll tell you that then i that sent me on a journey um, of fasting without meat and uh it was great it was hard it was great and i got to spend some great time with god and i got to experience that same in, in different ways the theology of what I know up here, I got to experience it in my heart and my life. That's part of the healthy expectation that God calls us to. You need to know that as part of the church, God does not call you to comfort and to an easy life. In fact, God calls us to die to ourself and to live for him. What's cool is that looks different for every one of us. There are some commonalities for all of us. But it looks different for you than it will for me. And so what are what is God calling you to do? And how is he calling you to live? Paul writes, and I want to show it. It will be up on the screen for you. Paul writes a little bit later in Second Timothy chapter 3 about what I think is a healthy expectation of us as a church. So 2 Timothy 3, verses 10 through 17. He says, You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, My persecutions and sufferings that happened to me in Antioch and Iconium and at Lystra. We just read about those. We just read in Acts 14 and 13 about these persecutions that he's telling Timothy years later. He's saying, Timothy, you saw that, you followed my persecutions. sufferings, which persecutions, verse 11, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. I know there are some frightened people who are living each day frightened by the coronavirus. I respect the virus. It is real. It has killed people and it will kill people. I do believe that my God is greater than a virus, though. And if God calls me to die because of a virus, he calls me to die. And the same for you. Do not live your life in fear. Paul encountered something more hard, harder, more difficult. And it was his faith and his trust in God. And at any point, God could have said, I'm done with you. But Paul says, he delivered me out of them all. So no matter where you're at, no matter what's going on in your life, the one who can deliver you from any kind of hardship that we'll encounter today or tomorrow or in the days ahead, the one who can deliver you from that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Is your faith and trust in him? He continues. The Lord rescued me. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be what? Let me read that again and you follow along just so you don't miss it. Verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse. Deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you've learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that that man, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now remember what I said earlier about, Paul, as he's leaving these leaders, they had the Old Testament. The sacred writings that he's saying here that Paul is writing to Timothy about, those sacred writings are the Old Testament texts. So let's be careful not to throw out the Old Testament and solely solely lean upon the New Testament. The same Old Testament that was good enough for Paul and Barnabas and Timothy to rely upon so that they be, may be made complete are the same scriptures that we have and that we need to study and that we need to understand. Continue in what you have learned. We are called to continue to grow and learn. I love one other text. I'm just going to read for you real quick in Galatians 6, which remember... Galatians is written to the churches in Galatia, which are these churches that we, that Paul just established. Okay. So this letter that he writes to Galatians, the church in Galatia churches is this letter that we we see in Acts chapter 14, 13 and 14 Galatians six, verse 17, Paul ends his letter with this verse. Now from now on, Let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. What were those marks? You don't think he had marks left over from his stoning? You don't think he had indents and and, and scars? Even though God had delivered him from those persecutions, you don't think his body showed those? That word there for marks is a branding. It's a tattoo. It's a mark of ownership. What Paul is saying is, look, there is evidence of who my owner is. And so I ask us a couple questions as we finish. What marks do you bear for Jesus? What marks do you bear for Jesus? Maybe it's not a physical mark, but maybe in your soul you've been beat up. Maybe in your heart, maybe it will come a time where physically we will bear the marks. What marks do you bear for Jesus? And are you shying shying away from them or are you embracing them as you live out your faith, growing and sharing the gospel message? Just as I said last week, I'll say it again. God has called us to share the gospel You and I all have the responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect and sinless life. He died upon the cross. He was buried and three days later he rose again and he is God's son. He is the savior of the world and he is the Messiah, the Christ, the one who can save people from their sin. I pray that God will give us boldness to share the gospel message. The second question, what are you doing to continue in your faith? I will tell you this, if you just participate by watching videos and sitting in your homes, there is a limit of your faith. Some of you need to stay home and you need to stay safe. Others need to return back to the fellowship That you once enjoyed. Because ultimately we all need the strengthening of our souls. We need our souls to be strengthened. And our faith to continue to grow. And that is not done individually. God has called us as a church. To share that together. So the healthy expectations. You've heard today. I won't ask you to repeat them. I'll ask you to chew on them and to embrace them and to understand what it costs to be a follower of Jesus Christ. It is not a life of comfort anymore. It is not a life of luxury. It's a life of obedience. It's a life of boldness. It's a life that shows others that God is real and Christ is Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the texts that we've walked through today. Thank you that through many tribulations, we must enter in the kingdom of God. And Lord, we need boldness. We need strength. We need our faith to grow. But Lord, you tell us that if we have faith as small as a mustard seed, we can move mountains. And so it's not about our faith. It's about you and about allowing you the room in our hearts, in our minds, allowing you to have full reign of our lives. And instead of us dictating to you how our lives should look, we need to give you our lives in fullness. And so, Lord... I pray that there would be people who are listening today who would do that. I pray that in response of your word and your spirit's work today, that we would see people who would desire more than ever and who wouldn't just desire, but would take the steps and the actions needed to be obedient, to be continually strengthened in their faith, to serve one another to be obedient to what you've called us to do and how to live Lord for some that looks like a marriage that that seems broken and yet allowing you to repair it and to continue to to be faithful and to repent and to turn from sin for some it's turning from their own addiction And turning to the God, as we sang earlier, to the God alone who can fulfill us. Who satisfies. We are easily deceived, Lord. Please forgive us. Please continue to be patient with us. We need your help. And I pray that there will be a people today who in their soul, in their heart, they would be willing to suffer through tribulation, through hardship, that they would be faithful to the sacred writings that we enjoy today, that we would live out our faith in a true way so that the world may know that there truly is a savior and his name is Jesus. We thank you for him. We know that through Christ all things are possible. And so help us as we move forward from this day, Lord. We love you. Lord, you know how I love our people. Lord, you know how I desire for them to grow in their faith. Lord, this has been a difficult year, and you know that. And I pray, Lord, that we would unite together. That we would not allow the evil one to divide us. That we will continue to show grace and mercy to one another. And that we will continue to strive to be obedient as individuals and as a church. Help us, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Thank you for being here today. The Lord bless you. I just looked at the time. I'm sorry. Hopefully you were comfortable. If you've got an uncomfortable chair, you can bring your comfortable chair next week, okay? Um, I'll dismiss you kind of row by row. The Lord bless you and keep you and, and help you to have a wonderful week.